We do a lot of electronic outreach to our customers in ways that is hopefully relevant to them, whether, whether it's webinars or direct mail or the other ways that we would touch base with our customers. And then we also have voice of the customer program, which is essentially a net promoter score system. So we reach out to thousands of customers every year, get their feedback on how we're doing. The ones that are very happy with us, we just continue servicing the heck out of them. And then we have a pretty robust program so that if we're getting bad grades from a customer, we have a whole system where we'll get in touch with the customer, find out what's the root of the problem, why are they ticked off and then work to fix that problem so that they can be happy again. In this episode, I'm talking to Iggy Domogalski, CEO of Wajax, one of Canada's largest industrial products and services providers. They're making over $2 billion per year in revenue. We're going to talk about how Iggy led and grew the former company, Tundra, from eight to $150 million in revenue. Tundra eventually got acquired by Wajax. And second, we're gonna talk about the secrets to marketing in a older slash traditional market. And lastly, we're also gonna to try to figure out exactly how much money this monster company spends per month or per year in marketing. And if you can't answer a question, we both have to take a shot of hot sauce. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of of marketing on Mars. Today, we got a company that we, a type of company that we don't usually bring onto the show. Um, the company is called Wajax, and we have the CEO, Iggy Domogalski, here today with us. Uh, Wajax is probably one of the oldest uh, industrial companies in Canada. And you might be asking, Simon, why are we bringing on an older company on a show that's more talking about tech and B2B and marketing? Well, uh, this CEO uh, has, uh, was pretty much there the entire time when they grew from uh, something crazy. Like, I'm just throwing up spitballing numbers, but like 10 million upwards of $100 million in revenue. He was part of that whole thing, part of an acquisition. And he's doing a lot of things that we talk about a lot now, which is, thought leadership, storytelling, culture. He built this whole thing. Um, he, he was he was part of all of this uh, during the time uh, with Wajax and the previous company, Tundra. And uh, when we had a conversation, we just talked about so many cool things. So I, we just had to have him on. Uh, Iggy, thank you so much for joining the show. Hello, Simon. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm not going to do the intro uh, for you uh, because your background is just it's it's incredible and the things that you've done with Wajax is it's so cool. So I'll let you do your your own intro, however way you want to do it, and we'll and and I'll probably chime in with with some questions afterwards. Yeah, sure. That sounds that sounds great. And again, yeah, thanks for having me on the show here. I'm always happy to to share the Wajax story and uh, the Tundra story. Uh, so why why don't I? Uh, why don't I go back, I guess, quite a ways. Um, mm. I grew up in Winnipeg. Uh, so I was a, a prairie guy pretty much my whole life. And uh, today I live in Calgary and I'm in my home office today in Calgary. And for about the last 15 years, I was involved with a company called Tundra Process Solutions. Calgary-based company, uh, industrial company. So uh, we would sell and service uh, all the bits that go into all the facilities that basically keep this country running. So we would sell things like valves and motors and 
typically not a not the not the sexiest business, but uh, but a very required business in this country uh, and in any country, and and one that I that I really really loved growing. Uh, when when I first got involved, I was our chief operating mm-hmm. officer, did that for a bunch of years, and then I was our CEO for the last six years at Tundra. And as you mentioned in the intro, we we just had a a really fun time growing that company. We started. I got involved in 2006. The company was eight million in revenue, and we peaked at around 200 million in revenue. Uh, so it was a it was, wow. it was a really really wonderful growth story, and mm. uh, like the market didn't grow that much. So uh, so I, I think we did some pretty cool things during that time, and a lot of them were really around uh, around marketing and people and. Uh, I've always had this belief that if you if you create a culture where people really, you know, they like coming to work and that they believe they're a part of something, um, that they'll become their best selves. And I think uh, as an as an employer, you know, you have the ability to send people home happy and fulfilled and excited, and you know, maybe they'll want to tell their family about what they did at work. And you also have the power to do the opposite, right? Like you have the power to send people home pissed off. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, if, if they're mad when they get home, they kind of take it out on their family, they make their communities and their, and their group of friends a little bit worse off. And if they go home happy and fulfilled, they make their communities and their groups of friends and family a little bit better off. And that's, that's what really we had hoped to do. And, uh, and so we, so we, we tried to build that kind of culture and then we tried to use marketing and storytelling to get that word out there, to get, to get it out into the market. I mean, we weren't that big of a company um, and we were in a fairly niche industry, but I think over the years we really started to punch uh, really a lot above our weight class. And uh, you know, we would, we would hear from outside people who were in marketing uh, basically telling us that, you know, that, that we, that we're, you know, that we market like a much bigger company. Uh, and it, and it really created, um, it created a lot of demand for people who wanted to work at Tundra, which was nice. So we had access to, you know, your, your number one resource is your people. And we had access to just the best people. And, and we were, and generally we were able to retain those people once we got them on board. Uh, so we had a, we had a really fun time growing that company. Uh, then the, the pandemic hit and I actually got a call from the folks at Wayjax during the pandemic. And they said, you know, we've been, we've been looking at your company from afar and we, you know, I know it's a weird time, but maybe something good can come out of a weird time. And how would you feel about potentially selling the company? And so I chatted with our, our majority shareholder and our chairman and, you know, we, we kind of thought that it might be the right time. And what we were really, really concerned about was, uh, really was a welfare of our people. And we wanted, if, if we were going to pass the reins to somebody else, we wanted to make sure that our people would be taken care of. And uh, based on uh, what Wayjax had done with other acquisitions, we thought that that definitely would be the case. So we came to the terms of a deal pretty quick, uh, then went into the due diligence process, which took about six months, and then the deal was done. And uh, so Tundra was now officially a wholly owned subsidiary 
of Wayjax. So at that time, Tundra was about 20 years old. Uh, and Wayjax was uh, quite, a, quite a bit of a bigger company, 3,000 people across Canada uh, with 117 branches doing uh, a little under $2 billion in revenue. And, uh, wow. and one of Canada's longest standing industrial companies. Uh, so it was founded in 1858, which actually makes uh, Wayjax nine years older than Canada is officially, uh, which is a pretty cool story. And uh, and, and we became part of this family and, and I became part of this family and, uh, the, the previous CEO, uh, a gentleman by the name of Mark foot, who did an exceptional job at, uh, at Wajax over the past decade asked if I would be interested in putting my name on the list of people to be considered for his role when he was leaving, uh, which I was honored to do. And then we went through, uh, a very, very deep and extensive process to determine, uh, you know, if, if you know, just to determine all, all the different candidates capabilities and, and their willingness and readiness to take over the job. And uh, in the end, I was offered the position. So uh, here I am. So now I'm uh, running this company called Wayjax, one of Canada's oldest companies, uh, a really neat company that does you know, a, a lot of things coast to coast. Uh, we are an industrial company. So we basically keep Canada moving. Um, we have a heavy equipment business, which is things that you might see on the side of the road, like big Hitachi excavators or forklifts that you would see in a warehouse or giant engines that, uh, that, uh, that are, that are in trucks and boats. Uh, and then we have an industrial components business, which is all the little bits that go into facilities across the country. So that would be motors and valves and bearings and hydraulic cylinders and all the pieces that you really need to keep industry moving. And uh, that's, uh, that's where I sit today. I've been in this role for close to a year and a half and, uh, and, and I'm really enjoying it so far. How's that, is, that, is that a good introduction? Does that give you enough to work wow, with? Yeah, no, that, that, you know what? I had a lot of questions going in. Um, now I have no questions. You, we might as well just finish now. We're, we're, 10 minutes <laughs> and we're done the whole thing now. <laughs> um, no, but essentially, I mean, look, you're, you're, so essentially you're a CEO of a $2 billion uh, per annum, uh, you know, revenue company. Yep. So when you get to that size, it's not about you or your direct reports anymore. Now you got a whole team. I, from my understanding, is about a thousand employees or something. We've like got that. three thousand coast to coast in Canada. Three thousand coast to coast. Now it's like you got people that uh, thousands of people that rely on on you and your decisions. Um, now, now it's about the people when you get to that stage, right? So I love what you what what you said in the beginning. Uh, obviously, we talk about our customers all the time. You got to keep our customers happy. Customers are our biggest, uh, you know, our biggest marketing channel, but then your own people uh, are also very important. You know, taking care of your own people is equally as important as taking care of your customers. So I'm sure we'll dive into all of that in a little bit. Um, but first, uh, we have a tradition on the show where we start off the show with a shot of hot sauce. I told you this a few weeks ago. I don't have no idea what you brought on the show, but uh, let's let's see for the first time the biggest unveil what do you have okay well it is it's actually my favorite hot sauce so i probably won't mind taking shots of it although i've never actually taken shots of it <laughs> i usually put it on food like most people would but like it's, uh, people. it's the cholula brand of hot sauce oh yes cholulas okay yeah so this That's is good. this is my favorite uh it's i love it and okay. so I, I put it on pretty much everything <laughs> cool I, I got i got the same as usual, um, it's, I was in Korea for for a few months, so this is the uh, the brand of hot sauce that I'm using. It's spicy, but it doesn't kill me like um, 
my, the previous hot sauce I took <laughs> from episode 10 until 25, I, I did Carolina Reaper and that's just, that was bad. But, uh, okay. So I got a spoon. I don't know. You got a shot, shot glass or a spoon? I'm just going right from the bottle. Okay, folks. Straight from the bottle. Well, well mostly just because I don't have a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So are we doing this? Yeah. So we'll do this. And then the, the, the kicker is I'm going to be asking you some questions, probably a lot of questions that maybe you can't share publicly. And, um, and just, we just want to know how you get, how you grew the company and how you run the company today from a marketing standpoint. And anytime you cannot answer a question, this light behind me will go off and we'll take another. And we'll do a shot of hot sauce. Okay. Let's do it. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. You know what? Even on its own, it's not too bad. Really? (laughs) Can't say the same about this one. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. I'm counting up some, some folks. We got, we got a handful of people on YouTube watching and we got about eight people on LinkedIn watching. Great. So if you guys have any questions for Iggy, feel free to throw them into the comments. Uh Oh, the hiccups are here. (laughs) All right. Okay. So, um, so you kind of explained a little bit about Way Jackson and, um, and what you guys are doing. Um, and you got about 3000 people under the company, right? Maybe talk a little bit about, uh, explain a little bit more about Way Jackson, the different departments. Um, I mean, we'll start there now while I cure my hiccups. While you cure yourself. Sure. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on in the intro, we kind of two main businesses, this heavy equipment business, which is basically things with wheels, you know, excavators and forklifts and, uh, and wheel loaders, construction kind of equipment. Um, and then we have this other business, which is our industrial components. That's all the individual parts. Um, but within those businesses, there's generally the same types of people. Uh, so of our 3000 people, about 1000 would be our field and shop technicians. Uh, the, these are the folks that, you know, they're, they are really the lifeblood of our business. They're the ones that turn the wrenches, that fix the things that, uh, that, that get the equipment ready to go. And, uh, and they're the, they're the front line for our customers. I think one of the, the things that you have to do as a distributor of products is you have to service your gear and, the most important time when you can really shine is when your customer is down, right? Like when they, when they have a big piece of machinery that has stopped, uh, that stops their business and that's a big problem. So, so we have these thousand people across the country, um, and you know, rain, shine, cold, warm, whatever the temperature is, uh, they're, they're out there, uh, and they'll get in their truck and they'll go fix whatever piece of equipment uh, that our customers, uh, that our customers need fixed. So that's, that's kind of a, the frontline group. Uh, we have a, we have a, an, another group of about a thousand people. So they're also frontline folks. They are there. There are salespeople. There are parts reps. Uh, if you walk into any of our 117 branches across the country, there's going to be a parts counter. Uh, so if you, if you need to get parts for any of your machines, there's, there's these folks that can help you. I think something that sets us apart a little bit is that they're, uh, you know, they're all technical folks. We're, we're, 
we're not the company that says, well, call me back when you got the part number. Uh, we're, the, we're the folks that'll help you figure out what the part number is if you don't have it. And, uh, and we'll be able to offer you, you know, maybe something better once we understand your problem a little bit better. So we, we really pride ourselves on the, on the technical aptitude of our, of our parts people and our salespeople and our, and our coordinators. Uh, and then the other thousand people are are all of the branch support. So the administrators, the managers, um, any anyone in our in our kind of finance and admin and HR and marketing groups. So so that that's that's how we split it up. Uh, but we would have all the traditional functions that pretty much any company would have, uh, from from marketing, operations, HR, finance, accounting, admin, IT, uh, and then we're also a publicly traded company on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So you can really find out a lot about us. Uh, like if you wanted to know like our revenues to the to the dollar, or you wanted to know our strategy, or really the details of our business. You can just go to wageax.com, go on the investor relations site. And you can find out like everything about our company and you can invest in the company too. You can just buy shares if you want to. So you can also be uh, an owner of the company if you, if that's something that you want to do. Awesome. So essentially just to summarize um, wageax, you guys are not only selling, but also renting um, either services or, or equipments that are used for construction and mining and, forest energy and all that, right? You guys deal mostly in equipment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Equipment or the parts that would go into, uh, into any kind of facility or factory, uh, in Canada. Yeah. What is it like? Okay. So, so before when you're at Tundra, it was like a smaller company and now you're at a company with 3000 employees. Um, you've been there for a little over a year now, right? Or how does it feel? How does it feel to, to have, uh, to be responsible uh, or have responsibility over such a large number of people. Um, this, this must be quite new to you, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think having responsibility for, you know, the, for the employment of the people that work at your company is not something that's particularly new to me. It's just, it's just more of them. Um, but I think it's, you know, the, I guess the, the, the pressure around that is the same. Um, but I've, I've always felt pretty good about it. You know, I, I like being entrepreneurial. I love, uh, you know, being put in the bucket of a job creator and, and I feel pretty good about that. And, and I, I think something that, that I'm just particularly proud of our team for, whether it's at Wajax or Tundra is we continue to push forward on making our company a better place for people to work. Like we want to continue building a people first culture and, uh, I think that's something that all of our leaders can feel pretty good about. Cause again, when you, uh, if you think of what influences people on their, on their day to day, you know, they have their friends and how much time do you really spend with your friends in a week? Like if you spend 10 hours with your friends a week, that'd probably be a lot. Um, if you're a religious person, you would probably go to church one or two hours a week. And you know, that would have a very profound impact on your values and and how you operate and, and your family, you know, you see them a, a few, few nights a week, but, but really the biggest group that has an impact on you is your workplace. Like you're there for 40 hours a week. That's more than anyone else has you. So that's, I think where the, some of the big responsibility and stress might come in is you have this, you have this ability to impact people in a really, really positive way, or maybe a really negative way. And, and we're constantly trying to make that impact better and better and better. Cause you know, we have, we have 3000 people in our company. Uh, and when they go home, their day at work will affect how they, 
how they hang out with their family and their friends. So we, you know, we, we have a, a much bigger impact than just those 3000 people. It's, it's into the communities and families of those 3000 people. Um, and that's, that's something that we're, that we're particularly proud of. Uh, you know, another interesting comment I heard from my predecessor, uh, uh, his name was Mark. You know, he said the, the bigger company that you get into, the easier it is to run. And I, and, and that, I, that didn't really occur to me and until, until I got here. And so I'll just, I'll just give you some examples. When, when you're, you know, working in a, in a small company, let's say five employees, something like that. You do, you're, if you're the, if you're the, the president of that company, you do everything, right? You're the, you're the chief janitor, you're the head of HR, you're the head of finance, right? Like you, you do, you're the head of sales, you're the head of customer service, you, you, you're the head of legal and tax, right? You do everything. And so you have to know some things about, about all those things. And as you get to more medium sized company, let's say hundred, 200 employees, uh, you, you get pulled out of some of those things, but you still, you know, if there's a big HR issue, you're in there. Uh, if there's a big legal issue, you're in there. Like even though you're not a lawyer, right. But you're in there. If there's a big tax issue, you're in there and mm -hmm. you have to, as best as you can, uh, you know, educate yourself on that topic and try to make good decisions. But when you get to a bigger company, there are really experts in those fields. And I'll just give you an example at Wajax. We have a director of taxation. She's awesome. And she knows everything there is to know about tax. So whereas in my previous life, um, at, at Tundra, you know, when there was a big tax thing, I'd have to get involved. Now I don't. And, uh, and I don't have to pretend that I know that much about tax cause I don't. Um, and so there's, there's just more, the, the bigger company you get in, the more experts there are that you can really rely on. So that as a, as a leader or a CEO of that company, you can really spend more time doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, which is, you know, setting the strategy for the company and thinking about the culture and thinking about what risks are coming around the corner. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, so I think, I think that's what he meant by, uh, you know, it gets easier when you get to a bigger company. And if you got to even bigger company, um, you know, if you're running like a bank or something, you know, like there's, there's so many experts in those banks that, that even more you can get pulled out of those things that you don't know too much about and really focus on the high level things that you should be doing. So when you think about, okay, I want to dive into this one area of leadership. You said one of your biggest roles right now, because uh, your company is so large is leadership and providing leadership to, to people. When you think about leadership, I mean, there are 3000 people in your company. You can't, you can't provide leadership advice to all 3000. So you got to mm -hmm. pick and choose your, your battles. Is it, do you have like a list of direct reports and those are the only people that you, that you try to encourage and, and, you know, um, and to support, or are there 30 people? Like what, what's your range? Like how many people do you think uh, as a CEO uh, you, you can directly influence? Yeah, that's that, you know, that's a really good question. And, uh, so I've got, uh, I've got nine people that report directly to me and I try to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, and you know, we work closely on figuring out the strategy and the vision of the company. Uh, then there's a group of, in our company, there's 37, uh, kind of our, our really key leaders that drive the business. Um, I'm in contact with all of them, but, but far less so than, than I would be with uh, the, the team that reports directly to me. So that, that I, I view that group of 37 people, which is a little over 1% of our company as, you know, the real key drivers of what's going on in the future. And that group needs to be really lined up. So if we're doing, you know, big management planning offsite, you know, those, 
those 37 people would be there to make sure that everybody's aligned with our strategy. Um, and, then, and then I also like to get out to our front lines. I do. I, I love spending time with uh, with the people that actually do, you know, the, the turning the wrenches and making the sales calls and filling the orders for our customers. So uh, in my first year, I got out to about 80 of our 117 branches, which was a lot. That was, and you know, that's, they're kind of in all corners of the country. So it took a lot of time to do that. Um, but going forward, I think if I'm getting out to about 30 of our branches every year, which would get me to all of them every four years, that's about the right kind of pace that I'd like to get out. And, and when I get to the branches, I have a chance to shake everyone's hand and meet every person that works there. Uh, and then we'll usually do, you know, kind of get some coffee and donuts together and I'll do a Q and a for an hour on, on whatever people want to talk about. And I'll talk about the future of the company and where we're going. Um, so, so, so that, that's, that's how I would kind of think about communicating with that group. Um, but really it's the, it's that group of 37 that we try to spend a lot of our time with and, uh, you know, invest in their, you know, in their leadership skills and, you know, invest in developing them and make sure that they're aligned with everything that we're trying to get done as a company. Awesome. Awesome. Well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll dive back into that in a little bit. We also got to talk about marketing. This is a marketing yeah. podcast. So we'll, we'll, it we'll is a marketing podcast into, after all. Yeah. So, so we'll jump into marketing and we'll talk about marketing and, and, and what you guys do there. But first, I think there are a handful of people that just joined in and maybe they're, they're just catching up. Can, can you give us like a high level where Wajax is as a company? Um, you know, in terms of revenue, uh, market cap or total number of company, uh, total number of uh, uh, industries that you serve or clients or just like kind of high level summary. Of, of yeah, all the yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I guess just some some numbers that we would talk about sometimes. Uh, we're three thousand employees, coast to coast about 117 branches, uh, for, for those folks, uh, where we're in pretty much every community, uh, in the country from Vancouver Island to the tip of Newfoundland. And, uh, those 3000 people generate just under 2 billion in revenue for us. Uh, we are publicly traded on the Toronto stock exchange. So our market cap is about $500 million. Um, and we, we serve, there's not too many industries we don't serve. Uh, so we serve a lot of the resource-based industries, manufacturing, commercial, industrial, infrastructure, uh, construction, any kind of heavy industries. Those are the ones that, that we would serve. We have over 30,000 customers. So if you like most, most, most big businesses that need any kind of equipment in any way would probably be a customer of ours. Wow. Okay. And then and, and marketing, you guys do, a, a, you guys still do a, a lot of marketing uh, nowadays. What are the main, you know, as a company that's already making $2 billion, you're probably not too focused on uh, uh, acquiring new customers anymore. You guys have a really large market share in, in the industry already, or, right? Or, or, or is it still a focus to, to grow within, within Canada? Yeah, well, Canada is our only market. We we're, we're a Canadian company. We've been here for 165 years, and 100% of our employees are in Canada. And so, so this is this is where we play. And we think there's a lot of opportunity to still grow in this country. Um, right. The way the way that we think about that growth is more. Uh, 
is just doing more with our existing customers. As, as mentioned, like there's not too many customers yeah, yeah. That, that we don't do business with, but we have about 20 different kind of businesses that we'd end. And most of our customers, we might do business only in one or two of those. So how do we, you know, how do we take a customer that we only do a little bit with and introduce them to more of our portfolio? Like if somebody's already buying forklifts from us, Maybe they could be buying bearings and hydraulic cylinders or if they need excavators, maybe they can be buying those from us too. So we think our, you know, our biggest opportunity is it, it's just called wallet share, but that's, you know, we think uh, getting, getting more of the wallet share from our customers is probably our, our biggest opportunity in terms of, you know, cross selling between our, our divisions. Uh, but when we, when we think about marketing, we, I mean, we, we definitely invest in that heavily and it's, it's got a few different, different, uh, you know, a few different areas that when we think about it, we've, we've got a lot of salespeople out there um, between our inside and outside salespeople, like frontline people. We've got about a thousand of them uh, and about half of those would be outside salespeople that go out and see customers and, you know, take them for lunch and show them brochures and do all those things. So that that's really our primary marketing channel. It's, it's B2B person to person. Um, and so that's, that would be the, for sure, the majority of our spend because it's 500 salaries. Um, and, uh, and then, and then to support those people, uh, we do a lot of trade shows and events that get, you know, that, that bring our customers to us, or we go to where a bunch of our customers might be hanging out at a certain trade show or association. Um, and, and then we do have, a, a just the whole actual kind of roll it up into the online marketing function, uh, whether, whether that's a website, uh, we have, we have a, a fairly extensive social media uh, program. Uh, some of that is paid, some of that is not paid. Um, and, uh, and then we just do a lot of electronic outreach to our customers in ways that is hopefully relevant to them, whether, whether it's webinars or direct mail or uh, all, all the other ways that we would touch base with our customers. Um, and then we also have a, a voice of the customer program. Uh, which is essentially a net promoter score system. Uh, so we reach out to thousands of customers every year, get their feedback on how we're doing. You know, the ones that are very happy with us, we just continue servicing the heck out of them. Uh, and then we have a pretty robust program so that if we're, if we're getting bad grades from a customer, uh, we have a, you know, a, a whole system where we'll, you know, get in touch with the customer, find out, you know, what's the root of the problem? Why are they ticked off? And then, you know, and then work to, to fix that problem so that they can be happy again. So we, have, we so that's uh that, that's how we think about uh, marketing kind of on a on a tactical basis. Um, yeah, hope that answers some of the question. So how, how much? Um, give us a sense of how like how much are you guys spending uh, on on marketing? You know, as a two billion dollar company, mostly B two B, where you have a large sales team. Uh, does marketing? You know, I'm just, just, just curious, like how, what would the budget be for, for marketing? You know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky question to answer because it depends on how you measure it. Right. Like if you, if you're just measuring how much we spend on, uh, you know, like websites, brochures, social media, you know, that's, that's one number, which is a way smaller yeah. number. But if you say like, how much money do we spend on customer acquisition, which, you know, that, that would include salaries and salespeople and even, even their, um, you know, like their, like, like mileage and, and them driving and their gas would be like a, quite a significant number. So it, it, it's, it's hard to give a specific number, you know, cause okay, it's, let's do both. Let's, let's, let's start off just with the traditional marketing, which is just a website, social media, 
brochure creation, you know, maybe you can dump in events in there. Cause that's, that's probably a marketing spend as well. Like, yeah. What would that look like? And then if you jump, if you dumped in all the sales and the acquisition um, costs, like what, what is budgeted there? I see what you're doing here, Simon. I, I see us on a path to a shot of hot sauce here. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. All right. All right. We're, I'll, give, we're gonna, I'll give you like a, a little bit of an answer. Cause to be honest, I don't know the, the exact number, but I will do a shot of hot sauce with you. Um, okay. You know, well, let's, let's, do, let's do that. Yeah, let's do the answer first, and then we'll do the. Yeah, it, it, you know, it would be under one percent, right? If we're if we're just talking about the actual marketing spend, uh, and then it would be it would be like way more than that if once you once you lump lump salaries in, right? Like if you if you yeah. take you know five hundred salaries plus all the benefits and and car expenses and all, like it's 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 a decent amount. So, but again, I I don't know the exact percentages, so I, I don't want to give you a fake yeah. number. So one so percent will be a roughly. 20 million. Does that sound give or take? Yeah. Yeah. And our actual, like actual marketing dollars marketing. would be way less than that. Like that okay. the, the we would actually spend on paid social media and trade shows. It, it would be, it would be quite a bit less than that. Right. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> What's the average number of shots in your, in your podcast? Uh, four. Uh, no, three, three is average. We're, we're at two. So. Okay. Well, we're, we're doing pretty good then. Also, at some point, I'm just not going to ask. I'm going to just to save my own stomach. I will try my best not to ask tough questions, but the audience members can. I think we have we still have a decent amount of people on LinkedIn and uh, and YouTube. I think we still have 10 people. So if you guys have uh, any questions, throw them into the chats. Um, just please be nice to Iggy and I. We're on shot number two already. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I've heard that you guys are really good storytellers. Um, and uh, you, you talked earlier, you guys punch above your weight class. You guys are doing things probably not a lot of industrial companies are, are doing. You guys are very forward thinking. Talk to us about your, um, how important is storytelling and, and, and how do you guys use social media and events or, and whatnot? to get your story across. And also what is the story that you're trying to push? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great question. And if I back up to my, my Tundra days, th those were the days where I think we were really punching above our weight class for storytelling. And you know, th the main stories that we, that we told there is, you know, that we, that we want to be thought of as an innovator in the market and a bit of a thought leader. Uh, so we had, uh, you know, a group of people, there was three of us. Uh, it was myself. Uh, we had, you know, for lack of a better term, an innovation guy, and then, uh, and then a technical expert guy. Uh, so they're the three of us were our, you know, our, our main spokespeople for the company. And we will just try to get out to as many events, whether in person or online as we could to talk about the message of one, we're, we're technical experts. Two, we're innovators and, and we bring unique technologies to the market that might otherwise not be available. And so that, that was a two other guys job. And my job was, was telling more of the story around people and really about how we, how we, how we're that people first company, how we've, how we've got a, a culture that a lot of our, our, our teammates really like, and that this is a great place to work. And the, the thought pattern behind that is, you know, if we can, if we can get the best people, we'll be the best performers. 
but also, you know, what customer wouldn't want to do business with a company that takes care of its people? I mean, if I'm thinking that that, if I put my customer hat on and I, I was thinking, okay, well, why do I care about that? Why do I care if you're nice to your people? And why do I care about your employees being engaged and happy? I think, well, if I'm dealing with, with, a, with an engaged employee on the other end, one, I think they're going to, you know, they're going to work a little bit harder to solve my problem. You know, when, when it's, when it's a stressful situation and my equipment's down and I really, really need the help. And that's the moment that I need you. If that person is bought in a little bit more to that company, you know, they, they're more likely to, you know, kind of really, really go to bat for me as a customer. So that's one thing that I like. And two, if you can, you know, if you build a company that has a good culture, people are going to stay around a little bit longer. And I think as a customer, you want some continuity so that when I'm calling, you know, when I'm calling Jamie in the Edmonton branch, for example, and I want to talk to them, you know, I know they're going to be there for a long time and I'm not just going to have this rotating, uh, you know, this rotating group of people where I'm always getting a new person because the turnover is so high. So that was, yeah. that was, that was a thesis. I think it worked. Uh, we, we were able, we had, like, like an incredible number of applicants per job, like over 400 for almost every job that we posted, uh, which was, which was really great. So we really had our, our pick and, um, you know, another thing that we really did, which was a journey and, and this one was really important to us and it was important to me and it was around our communities and it was, uh, kind of our, our philanthropic journey, if you will. Um, when I got to Chandra, uh, you know, a long time ago, we, we really did not have a philanthropic bone in our body. Um, I, I think our, the entirety of our philanthropy was we were, you know, giving 200 bucks a year to the hockey team of one of our sales guys, kids, right? Like that was it. So it was like very, very minimal. And over the years we started to, um, we started to do a lot more of that. Uh, we initially, we said, we want to find a charity that we can link up with and be partners with. And it had a bunch of criteria, you know, we wanted it to be local. We wanted it to be something around kids. We wanted our people to be able to be involved. And we interviewed a bunch of them. And the one where we found the greatest fit was uh, called the Kids Cancer Care Foundation of Alberta. And, you know, we were an Albertan company, kids, local, our employees could get involved. They had all the check marks. And we just started to do things with them. And it was, you know, the first year, all we did was an ugly Christmas sweater party uh, fundraiser where we raised a couple thousand dollars and gave it to the charity. And then the next year we introduced a new initiative plus the ugly Christmas sweater party. So now we had two. And then the next year we added another. So then we had, then we had three things and then four things. And, uh, and before you knew it, you know, we were, um, but what the kids cancer care foundation calls, uh, you know, one of our, the corporate champions, and we were doing everything that you possibly could with this organization. Our people were involved, our people were engaged. And it got to a point where, when we defined our core values as a company, one of those core values was, and remains today, give back. And so, so that, so that community piece really got rooted into our company and, and that became part of our story, you know, that we're, you know, that we're thankful that the community has been so good to us. So we want to be good to the community too. And, and that's, and that I thought worked, I mean, we, we didn't do it as a business investment, you know, we, we did it cause it was the right thing to do. Like we thought supporting the community is a, is a corporate responsibility, which is why we put it in our core values. Um, but I think it turned out actually, I can't measure it exactly, but I think it turned out to be one of our best investments. Um, I think our customers loved that we were doing that. They would often get involved in the events that we were doing to support um, 
to support these charities. We were a very event driven company. We held a lot of events and every event turned from, you know, like a party or whatever into a fundraiser. Um, so, uh, so customers loved it. Our suppliers loved it, but mostly our, our teammates and employees loved it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love interviewing people for our company and I would, I would do it at Tundra too. And I would always ask, you know, of, of all the, there's thousands of companies out there. Like why, why do you want to work here? And every time, like not 99% of the time, but a hundred percent of the time, one of their reasons was, I just love what you do in the community. And I want to be a part of that. And, and so, so telling that story became the super powerful recruiting and retention tool. Uh, and, and ultimately I think made people go home feeling better. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I think most people find what they do for a living interesting, but, you know, let's say that you are, um, a technician or, or, or a salesperson for an industrial piece of equipment. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, when you go home and your kids ask, what did you do today? Like, you, I don't know, are, are you going to talk about that? Maybe, maybe not. You might just say, oh, just at work, I fixed some stuff or I sold some stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, some of our people would be involved in, you know, these, uh, these bike races for charity or, or 10 K races for charity or, or just events that, that, that were, that were centered around fundraising for, for good causes. And people talk about those, like employees talk about those to their families. And so you're able to bring the workplace home a little bit and the exciting part of the workplace and the fun part and the really, really rewarding part. So I think, I think it, I think it just made people feel better about, about their whole employment experience. And, uh, and that was, I think a really, really big piece of our marketing. It wasn't, we, we had that built into our social media. We had that built into our events. We had it built into the stories that myself and our two other main storytellers told to the market and to conferences and podcasts. And it, I think it worked really, really well. Yeah, no, I, I told, I totally agree. I think, yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone's, thinks that their job is amazing. Right. But then when, when you, when you, when you think back and you think about the times you, you come home and you actually tell stories to your wife or your, you know, partner, girlfriend or, or whatever, you usually talk about people. Yeah. It's not, Oh, I did this amazing, you know, algorithm or like I built this amazing spreadsheet, 1000 uh, columns or rows. You don't really, talk about that. You talk about, it's always about people. Yep. There's either, there was a, either a bad experience at work or a bad experience with a customer, or it was a good experience, or you went to volunteer and you connected with, um, you know, these children and, and they had amazing stories. You tell, you talk about stories of other people. It's always yep. about people. And, and, I, and I love that that was a focus and it goes to show, you know, when you as the leader of the company are doing good for the world, just out of the sake of, just for the sake of doing good and you want to give back to people, people underneath you will, will, will rally and think that way too. Like you're really setting the setting the stage on how to, how to think for the rest of your company. So now whenever they reach out to another customer, when a customer says, Hey, can you give me an answer? They're probably going to want to give that answer faster because they're thinking, okay, I want to do good. I always want to do good for other people. And that's um, that, I mean, there you go. Like that's, that's your culture and, and talking about culture. I know you guys do a lot more than that. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do in terms of building culture. I heard some stories of like massage therapists, 
like yeah, on stage, I, like yeah, all that. yeah tell us we, about we, that. we've done some fun things I, I think you know just to, just to round out that conversation on storytelling and marketing in our in in the days when i was at tundra you know i I think we really did punch above our weight class. And I mean, we would shout our stories from the rooftops to anybody who would listen. Um, where I, I came into Wayjax and Wayjax, you know, the, when, I, when I asked people, what's the culture like at Wayjax? Yeah. I, I, I often got the same theme and it was understated. And the company does so many amazing things and has so many smart people, but for whatever reason, just didn't really talk about it's itself. To, to the market. And that's, uh, you know, when I was thinking about my next opportunity after Tundra, I thought, you know, somewhere where I can use storytelling to, to bring the brand and the company to life for our customers and, and our employees and our potential employees, that's something that I would want to do. So we're very much on that journey. I think we're still in the, you know, the, the beginning innings of that journey where we're, we're investing more, we're doing more uh, storytelling and crafting the message, doing things like this, we're doing like we're doing today on your podcast. And, uh, so I think we're, we're just in the beginning of, of that. And I'm, and I'm excited to, to bring that further. Um, when we, so when we think about culture, uh, I mean, culture is a lot of things. Uh, I, I don't, you know, we, the massage table thing that exists in some of our branches. I don't think, I, I'm not sure that that's really culture. That's a nice to have uh, that, that, that whole massage table piece came from a program at Tundra that we called uh, making life easier. And the, the whole point was, is we know our teammates are busy and they got stuff to do. And, you know, some of those things are, you know, they, they do get massages or they go to the chiropractor and you know, if we can bring that into the office. So, you know, some of our people on one weekend, they got together, they bought some paint. There was a, there was a spare little room that no one was using. They painted the whole thing, put a, like little Buddha statues in there and made it very relaxing. Uh, and then found a massage therapist who would come in once a week, do the massages. And then everyone at our company has a benefits plan that they can expense some massages through the plan anyway. So it was a, it was a wonderful addition. And then we did the same thing with the chiropractor. Um, you know, we also uh, had other programs like, just, just easy things like dry cleaning, you know, like it, it was, it wasn't company paid, but it was just having the dry cleaners come by the office, pick up the stuff, drop off the clean things. It just saved people the hassle of doing all these things. We had remote oil changes, or you could bring in your snowboard or your skis or your bike. And we'd have somebody come in and do the tune up. Um, just, we just tried to make life easier for our folks. So I, I think that's, that, that's, that is a, that is a little bit around the people first culture in just, just doing kind things for our people, just doing nice things for them that, you know, that, that they might not normally expect. Um, at Wajax, you know, around Christmas time, we usually do some special incentives and we do the, the Christmas parties and some Amazon gift cards, you know, just, just little things to say, thank you. We have barbecues throughout the year to, to say thank you. Um, but I do think culture is a lot more than that. I think culture is just culture is the way that things are around here. And I think the culture that we have is very, very customer focused. Like the people in our company will truly bend over backwards and do whatever it takes to solve a customer's problem. And I love that. Um, and the, the piece of the culture that I'm trying to, to build a little bit more, which, which already exists is let's keep taking care of our people even more. Um, and not just, you know, not, not, not just doing them the massages or whatnot, but really thinking about the whole health of the person. Uh, and they're not just, you know, they're, they're not just a, 
a number or or a person that creates something for us, they're they're a whole human with a family and and feelings and problems. Everyone's going through some crazy journey that no one knows anything about. And so over the last six or seven years, we've really been investing heavily in the whole health and wellness of our of our teammates. So we, we invest heavily in mental health training and programs and uh, just making sure that people have the resources that they need to deal with those things that, that, that might be going on with them and also give our managers the tools to help spot those things. And uh, we, we've had really great results with that. We were recognized as a, as a, as like, we've got some awards around being, you know, a mental health leader and creating great health and safety in the workplace. So those are, those are things that we're, that we're super proud of. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously a huge focus on community, huge focus on your, and the people of your company. And that's, uh, I'm, I'm looking at your, some of your social media stuff. It's um, uh, also, you know, largely focused around people. You also, t- I mean, you, you also do some customer uh, stuff uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know if you're highlighting customers or, 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 or talk to us a little bit about that. Like, I think you mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, does it come in the form of testimonials or how, how are you guys um, highlighting your customers? Cause you, you have like over 10,000, right? Or, or yeah, we've got a, actually over 30,000 customers. 30, so 000. lots and you know, and you know, some are massive customers. They buy all of our things and we've been doing business with them forever. And some just, you know, buy a little bit from us here and there. Um, we, we definitely try to do testimonials. It's testimonials are always so tricky. They're, they're hard so to hard. <clears throat> They're hard. And especially as, 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 as the customer is bigger and bigger, it's harder and harder to get the testimonial because usually you need to get their legal department involved. And that's just a, a whole big hassle. Um, but yeah, if you go on our website, we have a whole section on case studies and customer testimonials. So we've got a few dozen in there and they just talk about some of the, you know, just the unique services and offerings that we do. I think one of the things that that we need to work on a lot is telling the story of what it is that we actually do better. Um, we've got, you know, these about 20 different business lines and many of our customers will only know us for one thing. You know, they'll know, Oh yeah, Wayjack sells forklifts. And that's all they know about us. Whereas we have all of these other things where we could help them. And there is a general movement in our customers to try to have less vendors as opposed to more. Um, and so we can be a part of that, but sometimes they just don't know. Uh, and so, so, teaching them that, Hey, we, we have these, all these other things that you probably need. And then having some pretty solid testimonials behind that is, is something that we spend some time on for sure. So guys, just so you know, this is how difficult it is to get customer testimonials for B2B companies. I mean, B2C relatively easier because you can give, you know, you can give them a, a new brand of sneaker, a brand new pair of sneakers and they'll probably, they might give you a, uh, testimonial, but B2B is a little bit trickier because you're dealing with not just the individual, not just the individual's consent, but the business's consent. And yeah. as Iggy said, the larger, uh, the, the more difficult it is. Put it into perspective, over 30,000 clients, 12, they got 12 testimonials. That's how difficult it is. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, cha- it's a challenge, but how did you guys get those 12? I mean, even those 12 must have been, you know, difficult to get. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're in the B2B space, you have to start thinking about the testimonial really, really far in advance. Right. And it it usually comes down to actually when you're getting the purchase order or the contract, like you have to be thinking about it because most contracts will say, 
uh, you cannot like the, that's that's like standard in every condo. You cannot talk about our agreement to the outside world. And then so if you, if you go back to your customer and you say, hey, do you mind giving us a testimonial? And then it goes, oh, sure. I just got to run it by legal. Legal pops up in the contract and it says, no, it specifically says that we're not doing that. So case closed. So often you got to negotiate it in the beginning. So you're, you're getting the order and you say, okay, you know, one of the things we'd like to negotiate into the contract is we'd like to be able to talk about this. Of course, you'd get to vet it and, you know, you can, you can say no if you really want to, but, you know, kind of put a clause in that contract. So you got to think about it way further in advance. Uh, so that's, that that's one of the ways that we've been uh, somewhat successful at doing it sometimes, but you know, you don't always think of that piece when you're trying to get the order because you're just trying to get the order. Uh, so it's, it's, it's for sure tricky. Uh, it's, and it's, it's hard to, to get those stories out. And then, and then even if you do have a customer that's willing to do it, the amount of back and forth that you have to go through, cause they have to approve it. Um, and there's certain things that they don't want to talk about in their business. Or if you tell them, if you talk about how much money they save, maybe they don't want to talk about that. If you're talking about their operation, maybe they don't want to talk about that. So it's, uh, it's definitely a process. So you need to get the early approval and then it's a heck of a lot of work to actually get it done, even if you have the approval. And then there are also another big one. I mean, there are two or three other big ones, but one of the big ones is the fact that. I mean, your career is, is very unique in that you've been at Wayjax or Tundra for over well over 15 years, right? But not a lot of people stay at companies. I mean, you can you can talk a little bit. Would love to hear your thoughts. But people nowadays stay at companies for two years, three years, and then they leave. A lot of people, maybe one of the hesitancies is that, you know, I don't want to give this, even though I love this company, I don't know how long I'm going to be at this company for. So I don't want to be you know, out there in public saying good things and representing a company that I might not be at for another two, three years. That sometimes is, you know, in the, they don't, they don't, they won't say it aloud, but you know, you're, you know, some people might be thinking it. What are your thoughts on that as like a, as like a barrier to, to, to getting testimonials? Um, do, do you think that's valid? And then how do you get around that? If, if you can't even. I think maybe, I mean, I, I think some people just aren't comfortable doing testimonials period. Right. Like, and it's, there, 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 there are certain customers that you can try as hard as you want. And ultimately the answer is going to be no. And I think you just kind of, you gotta, you gotta move on and, and figure out the customers that are interested. And usually those customers are the ones where you have the best relationship. Uh, so I think our, if the, if the salespeople, the managers that deal with that company have the best relationship, and, and, and you did those things where you pre-negotiated it, you know, then, then you have a pretty good chance of doing it. But sometimes some people just don't want to, um, you know, in terms of people moving around, um, I get that. And you want to, you know, I think when you're, when you're building your career, you want to get more experience, um, because, you know, ha having, you know, experience from a lot of different places is good. It, it gives you, it gives you a different perspective. Uh, there's just a balance, right? Like if you're, if, if over the last 10 years, you've done two years per place, any, any potential employer is just going to assume that you're going to be there two years, no matter what you say, doesn't matter. Oh, no, I'm here for the long term. That, that phase of my life is over. I want to be here five to 10 years. They're going to write down two years. That's just, that's, that's what they assume. So I, I think there just has to be like, if, as you're considering those moves, there is a balance because eventually you build a pattern and if somebody knows they're only going to have you for two years, um, they treat you differently. You, yeah. if, if, if yeah. somebody thinks you're going to be there for a long time, 
they will really, really invest in you. You know, they'll, they'll consider rotating you around and showing you different things and putting you into courses. But if they think oh, this person's only here for two years, um, you might not, you might not get that investment. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I found through my career, you know, by staying at places, I actually got more opportunity to move around. Cause if they know you're going to be there a while, they, you know, hey, go do that for a year. And then, you know, you can get that experience and then bring it back to your current role or bring it back to a different role and you add more value to the company. So I think there's, they're just a give and take on the, on moving around versus staying in one spot. Yeah. I mean, you also were in a very, you, you were part of the company at, at Tendra when they went from 8 million to was it $200 million, right? In revenue. So, you know, it was a fast growing company. So there probably was a lot of, a lot of opportunities too to move around. Right. Whereas if yeah. you're staying at a company, you know, from day one, it was a $5 million company. And then day 1000 was still a $5 million company. I don't know if they can pay you anything more. So you, you also got pretty, pretty lucky with, with Tundra. I think not a lot of people, um, not a lot of companies actually grow that fast. Yeah. So, for, for um, sure. and, and, you know, yeah. and, and that's true, but, but I would argue that if, if a company believes that you're sticking around, they can rotate you around and, and a $5 million company is a pretty small company. So it's tough to go do a bunch of different things within a small right. company, but let's say it's a bigger company. Let's say, you know, it's a $50 million company. There's lots of jobs in that company. And if you've, you know, if you've done something in sales and something in service and something in operations, and all of a sudden there's a role available for a vice president, you know, like that's the kind of person that you want to put in those roles. Somebody who understands all the different pieces in the company can pull it together in a, in a higher up role. So I think you, I, I think being in one company can actually make your career go a little bit faster. Um, but you know, but it just depends on the individual. Some people just want to try a lot of different things and then you should do that. Yeah. And did you, um, just curious about your, your, your background. Uh, cause you've like looking at your resume, you've, um, you know, started at a, as an IT kind of like in, it looks like you started in corporate finance. No. Yeah, I was a, I was a finance guy. So I got a, uh, I've always loved entrepreneurships and had small businesses ever since I was a kid. Um, I went to the university of Manitoba. Uh, that's like growing up in Winnipeg. That was the school that you went to. And, uh, so that was, that was kind of the only option for me. Uh, but it was a wonderful school and loved it. Uh, I got a finance degree there and then I worked in corporate finance for five years, uh, which was, uh, I, I worked at a, a big company and a medium sized company and the big company actually rotated me around a lot. They rotated me around every six months. Uh, and then I stayed for a bunch of years thereafter and got to put those skills to use. And, uh, yeah, so finance guy, uh, and then, uh, a guy that I worked with who, who ended up being a mentor of mine. Uh, you know, he said that he wanted to move out West, uh, to Western Canada and start buying businesses and thought that I might be a good guy to come along for that. Uh, so I did. So I, so I think more than anything, I got lucky with finding a really great mentor at mm -hmm. a young age, uh, and, and, and being able to just get exposed to a lot of pretty cool things. But uh, you know, every role that I've ever gone into, like it was, into the deep end. I was, I've never been fully ready for any role that I took on. Um, and that, and those were the periods of time where I had the greatest learning. Mm. Even, even uh, how do you feel about this curtain role as CEO? 
you know, it's a lot different than my other one. I, I for sure didn't, there, there was lots that I didn't know. I went from a, you know, medium size private company that's Alberta based. And now, so I've, I've had to learn a lot about the rest of the country. Uh, so w- which has been wonderful to do. Uh, we're a publicly traded company. Uh, that's, that's all different. Uh, I report to a board of directors as opposed to just one person. So that's totally different. Um, and just the size is totally different. So there's just more complexity in the business and, and there's a bunch of business lines like heavy equipment that I didn't know anything about when I started. So it's, so the last year, a year and a half, I think has been the most learning that I've ever done in, uh, you know, in 12 or 18 months. And it's been wonderful. Um, so I don't think you're, yeah, I, I don't think you're ever really fully ready for your next role, but I've, the, the jumps that I've taken, you know, there's always been just a, a ton of learning. There's a, there's a quote that is like, everything that you want in life is on the other side of your comfort zone. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, things that you, anything you want in life, you want more money, you want more freedom, you want better health is always outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Curious. Is the way the wage must be a lot better at at Wageax? It's a it, it should be. I mean, it's a bigger company, so it's uh. Anything you can share on that on, on that on you know wages and compensation? Like for me? Yeah, Wageax. Uh, you, you know, it's 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 funny. It's it's actually all publicly disclosed. Like the oh, really? the, the salaries and bonuses for the top five people in every public company in Canada is fully disclosed. So you just got to go through our documents and it's all in there. All right. Okay, cool. Um, I, just, I just wanted this light to go off. Um, <laughs> so let, let, well, cause I, I feel like we, we did two shots. You've been so good at answering every single question. Maybe, maybe I haven't been asking tough questions and the audience is not helping me either. So, um, let's, let's do one last one to one to last one just to close it out. Just Sounds close good. It out. Um, and I guess we can, fi- we can find out Iggy's, um, salary guys. If, if you guys figure, find it, you can send me a comment or a note. Cheers. Cheers. So what's, what's, what's next for you guys? Um, you know, are there any big things that you're focused on this year in terms of marketing? Yeah, um, you, you know, there, there for sure are. Um, so kind of our, our big things that we're working on, first of all, is our, is our purpose and our values. And that was an interesting thing to me when I, when I got to Wajax, we did not have a purpose statement um, that was, uh, that, you know, that was clearly defined. And, uh, and we didn't have a set of core values. We had one core value, it's safety. We take it very serious and it's, uh, it's put into everything that we, that we do. Uh, and, and 2022 is our safest year on record. So we're, we're really proud of that. Um, but we didn't really have the purpose and values. And I think that's kind of the cornerstone of here's the, what you start with and then you build from there. So we're in the process of pulling all that together, getting feedback from our business. We just had these listening sessions where we talked to a thousand people in our business to get their feedback on, uh, on this first draft that we have. So uh, launching that <clears throat> both internally and externally is something that we'll be, that we'll be kind of using our marketing function to do. Uh, we're setting a new five-year strategic plan that we're working on. So that, that's, a, that's a big thing that we're doing. But in terms of our, like what we're doing in the business, um, we have this opportunity with one of our manufacturers, Hitachi, they're our biggest manufacturer. Um, there's been a bunch of changes with them. And uh, so there's this massive growth opportunity for us that we're, that we're, that we're planning and executing on. So that's, that's a big thing. Uh, and then, and then we're, we're in acquisition mode as well. 
Uh, we've been doing a couple acquisitions a year for the last few years, and we plan to continue that. Um, they're more like tuck-in acquisitions that fit into our industrial products business. Uh, so we've got a bunch on the go, and we've closed a few, and we're looking forward to closing more. So those are those are some of the the big moves that we're making in our company here over the next year, and and we'll continue to grow on those in years to come too. And if 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 anyone wanted to um, learn more, let, let's say I, I'm, I'm I'm a company that's that's uh, interested in this acquisition um, period that you guys are in. Like, what what are some of the what are the key metrics that you guys are looking at in terms of size or like industry? In case there are people listening. Yeah. So if, uh, I mean, if you go on our website, wayjacks.com, there's a, there's an industrial product section and it lists all the areas that we focus on, which would be areas like bearings, hydraulic cylinders, power transmission, instrumentation, valves, motors, et cetera. And, uh, so those are the spaces that we're interested in where we're interested in spaces that we already understand. Uh, we're interested in Canadian only companies cause that's where we play. Uh, and then size is, you know, we, we don't want anything too small cause it doesn't really move the needle. So, um, but you know, kind of anything over anything over, five or $10 million in revenue is something that we would be, that we'd be interested in. And, uh, you know, we're interested in, in, in much larger as well, but the, these tuck-ins are, are good, um, are a good way for us to grow. That's, you know, the risk is pretty low, uh, when you're, when you're doing these small to mid-sized ones, which we kind of like as well. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, I think, I think that does it. Um, uh, thank you for being a good sport. We, we did a total of three shots. So just right on average, um, yeah, I think I think that's that, that does it for us. We're a little over an hour. Uh, thank you, thank you, Iggy, so much for for joining. Thanks, and sharing. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for making the time for me. Thanks for inviting me to the show. Yeah, I'll, we'll uh, we'll I'll let you know once we have this live, um, or once we record this and post it up on YouTube. Uh, but uh, until next time, thank you, thank you so much, Iggy, again for joining and everyone else that that tuned in, and we will see you on the next one. Appreciate Thanks. Chat soon. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you want to learn more about marketing, just hit that subscribe button and check out all the other videos we have with CEOs, CMOs, and founders. We post weekly here, so this way you won't miss any future episodes. Also, you can leave me a comment down below on what you think about this episode and also what else I can do or ask to make the show more fun for you. See you later.